Well, good morning. How's everybody doing? So good to be together. Those of you who are on site, thank you for joining us. If you're at home, want to welcome you. And if you're across in the Family Life Center, thanks for carving out the time and faithfully gathering. It is so important during this time that we faithfully, whether at home or on site, gather together, worship God together, open his word together. And I'm so thankful that you are here. There are In the midst of all the stuff going on in our culture and in our church, there are so many things to praise God for. He is doing amazing things. And uh, I just want you to know our children's department is almost packed to capacity with our uh, guidelines. Um, The team has been using the verbiage pre-COVID, better than pre-COVID numbers, And so uh, we have new families coming, kids coming uh, into the program. It's just so exciting. And I just want to say to families that are coming on a Sunday morning and checking your kids in, thanks for being patient and gracious with our kids' check-in department. Mike Walters is director of kids' check-in, and sometimes we have computer issues, and sometimes it's frustrating, but uh, we just appreciate your patience and, uh, again, faithfulness to bring your kids And come to church. It's very, very important. And uh, I just can't thank you enough, congregation, again, whether you're here at home, on behalf of our staff and our elders in our ministries like kids and youth, thank you for being so faithfully generous. Sun River Church is a generous church, and we're able to continue to uh, do ministries and uh, improve and share the gospel, and we're just so thankful that you continue to give, and again, I can't thank you enough. And I just want to kind of let you know, um, we have a new team member. Our our team is growing. Uh, We are very purposeful to multiply leadership, and uh, many of you know John Lopey. John Lopey has joined our ministry staff uh, at a part-time level just to help with our greet. He's the director of our greeter team. So the, the front door, the first impressions team is so important at any church, and, and we want to make that a priority here. So he's beginning to give some direction to our greeting team as people, whether you've been here for 40 years or you're new, you come on and you get connected and you feel like this is a place where you belong. This is what we want. And so just wanted to let you know about that. And then real quickly, before we jump into the sermon, I just wanted to take a few minutes and talk about Uh, the heartbeat of our church. I want to continue to remind you of this. It's what I would call the ultimate truth. And that is the gospel of Jesus Christ. That there is nothing more important to us here than you understanding, knowing, and believing the truth about Jesus' life, death, burial, and resurrection. And many of you are being transformed by the gospel Many of us are all being transformed by the gospel in different ways. And one of the things that we're going to start to do over the next few months is shoot gospel stories. We have people who are coming to Sun River Church, and God is changing and working in their lives in amazing ways. And so we want to video these. We're going to begin to do this and present these to you. But I want to remind you, especially in the current cultural climate, that the gospel of Jesus Christ is what unifies us. It is most important. It is, again, the ultimate truth. You know this from me personally, those of you who have known me for a while, or even if you've been coming for a few months, 
We're going to preach the gospel every week because we believe it transforms and changes lives, not just for eternity, but right away today. And it changes us over the course of our lives. One of my favorite verses is 1 Corinthians 2, where Paul is talking to the church and he's reminding them of the ultimate truth. This is my personal conviction as I read these scriptures And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come preaching to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. For I decided, here it is, to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. It's the ultimate truth. And in this gospel truth that is the center of our church becomes supreme values, which is what I want to just talk about real quick. The gospel unifies us, gives us the ability to love God and to love each other in a way that is impossible without Christ transforming us, forgiving us of our sins and drawing us together. The supreme value of loving God and loving others. And I want to be very clear, this isn't new, but it is elevated, that the God of this world, the enemy, does not want us to be unified in love. He wants us to be divided. He wants to cause division in our families, in our church, and in our culture. But this is not God's goal. This is not what the gospel sets out to do. The gospel sets out to unify us. Satan, again, wants to cause division This is not new. It was in the Old Testament. It was in the New Testament. The church is divided over how to worship. The church is divided over what you should eat or not eat, what's right or what's wrong. We see it today in, in in our church culture in multiple ways. And I want to encourage you to look not to your own interest, but to the interest of each other. And be unified, growing in affection and love for each other and growing in love and affection for God. I'm going to continue to talk about this, and I I think it's important because we're all in different places in the culture and coronavirus and all these things have kind of put us in different spots. It's partly why we gave out wristbands and we ran out of greens. We'll have more this next week. This is not to divide us. This is to help you interact out of brotherly love and kindness, to look to your brother's interests above your own, to be able to communicate how you can fellowship together where people are at different places. This is so important in regards to masks and social distancing and all the requirements that we're going to do our best to follow, but at the end of the day, we need to grow in unity and love for each other and grow in our love for God. The, uh, the cultural requirements are not going to go away. We're going to have to wrestle with this. Thank you for wearing your masks in to the building as a following of the requirements. But there are multiple things we're going to have to wrestle with over the next few months, even this next year, that are going to be a challenge for us as we love God and love each other. Things that we're going to be probably doing in the next few weeks to a month that don't meet the requirements, but that we have to do as a church, and we need to talk about this, and we need to be okay with where people are at. I just want to say, those of you who email 
or call with questions and concerns, please continue to do that. That's welcome here. We want to talk and dialogue. Feel free to call the elders and talk about your concerns. Let's wrestle with this together. But we have people's lives being changed. We need to obey God's commands in baptism and fellowship and gathering together. How are we going to do this when they're saying we can't? And we have to wrestle with this, and we're going to need to do it together out of love for each other. So I'm going to continue to talk and remind you of this as we wrestle in different ways. The hope and the goal is that we, again, will be unified. We're in this series on the seven churches, the blueprints of a dangerous church. We want to be a dangerous church, danger in regards to living for the glory of God and glorifying him in all we say and do. We're in the fourth letter, so grab your Bibles and go to Revelation chapter 2. We're going to be reading about the church in Thyatira. It's the fourth letter, and before we stand and read the very words of God, I want to read from you for you from Charles Erdman's commentary on the letter to the seven churches. He gives a great note on where this fourth letter to this fourth church fits in all seven letters, and I think it'll help us get an understanding as we read about the tolerant church. Charles Erdman offers this perspective when he says, the letter to the church in Thyatira begins the second group of messages to the churches in Asia. The first group of letters, the church of Ephesus, was characterized by loyalty to Christ. We talked about that, which was lacking love for Christ. The church in Smyrna Loyalty to the test of suffering. The church in Smyrna, loyalty to the test of fire. And in the church of Pergamum, loyalty to that was lacking in moral passion. They compromised. All three churches were true in faith and had yielded to, yielded to assaults from sin or evil. In the case of the church of Thyatira, Sardis, which is next week, and Laodicea, the situation is far more serious. The letters kick up a notch here over the next three weeks. He goes on to say, here, not merely a small minority was indifferent, but large numbers in these churches actually yielded to a demoralizing influence from false teaching. Will you stand as we read the letter to the church in Thyatira, Revelation 2, 18 through 28. These are the very words of God. To the angel of the church in Thyatira write, the words of the Son of God, who has eyes like flames of fire and whose feet are like burnished bronze. I know your works, your love, and faith, and service, and patient endurance, and that your latter works exceed the first. 
but I have this against you, that you tolerate that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess and is teaching and seducing my servants to practice sexual immorality and to eat food sacrificed to idols. I gave her time to repent, but she refuses to repent of her sexual immorality. Behold, I will throw her into a sickbed, and those who commit adultery with her I will throw into great tribulation unless they repent of their works. And I will strike your children dead, and all the churches will know that I am he who searches mind and heart, and I will give to each of you according to your works. But the rest of you in Thyatira, who do not hold, or hold fast to this teaching, who have learned what some call the deep things of Satan, to you I say, I do not lay on you any other burden. Only hold fast to what you have until I come. To the one who conquers and who keeps my works until the end, to him I give authority over the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron, as when earthen pots and broken pieces, even as I myself has, have received authority from my Father. And I will give him the morning star. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Will you join me as we pray? Father in heaven, we read your words to the church of Thyatira, the people there that you love, that you called out of darkness, that you called into your family. We read these words and we reflect on your love for us. And we ask you to give us eyes to see and ears to hear that, Lord, by your spirit, we will learn and grow to fully surrender our lives to you. Lord, we acknowledge your supreme authority, that you don't just see how we act or how we behave, but you, Lord, see our thoughts and our intentions. You see the truth about who we are, and you love us. And you demonstrated that love through your son. May that truth, Lord, bind us together, unify us here at Sun River Church in ways that will not be broken. And we ask you to lead us to continue to transform our lives to be more like you, that we may glorify you in all that we say and do. And we pray these things in your son's name. Amen. You may be seated. Tolerance. It's a buzzword in our culture. It's been a buzzword in our culture. Tolerance. In 1999, January of 1999, the cover of Christianity Today asked 
that question or the following question, are you tolerant? It was right on the front cover. And then in parentheses, should you be question mark? Cultural tolerance is different than biblical tolerance. It's important that we distinguish between the two as we jump into this book, this letter. That there is a distinct difference between godly or biblical tolerance and a very crucial dividing difference between the current cultural tolerance that we face today, and it's the exact same cultural tolerance that this church faced. Cultural tolerance teaches that instead of just putting up with other attitudes or actions, even beliefs, that you strongly disagree with, the culture expects everybody to accept, even approve everybody's beliefs and values and lifestyle. And if you don't, you're intolerant, you're unloving, you're hateful, you're a bigot. Taking a stand is considered, taking a stand on your convictions or your beliefs is considered hate. Century-old Christian doctrines are regarded as discrimination. Cultural tolerance completely annihilates truth in any way, shape, or form. In his book, The Beauty of Intolerance, Josh McDowell says these words, which reveal the heartbeat of cultural tolerance. Endorsing immoral behavior is not equivalent to loving a person. Nor is correcting that behavior equivalent to rejecting a person. Again, cultural tolerance, unlike biblical tolerance, demands that you accept all viewpoints as valid. So the logic behind this, there is really no logic, the thinking behind this, each person's beliefs are valid. And so you cannot judge or criticize. In other words, there is no hierarchy of truth. All truth becomes relative, which means there is no truth. What's fascinating is, as followers of Jesus, Christians in the church, this is what we have to battle against every day in our culture. It doesn't affect parenting the same way. It does not affect, it, it has an effect in parenting. It has effect in mathematics and banking, but it doesn't affect banks the same way. I can't go up to the teller and go, I know there's only $2 in my checking account, but actually it's 
2 million. <laughs> Amen is right. That wasn't in my notes. That just came out. Doesn't work in parenting. Can you imagine? By the way, this, this happened, you know, where Sydney and Zach would want to do something, and we'd say no, and it wasn't fair, and it wasn't right. Could you imagine if Sydney, this didn't happen, it came to me and said, Dad, I'm going to take a bath. Oh, you mean we're not going to wrestle and fight over taking a bath tonight? No, I'm going to take a bath, but I'm going to do it with the toaster. Oh, okay. No, I wouldn't tolerate that because that's not good. There is a moral truth there. There's a reality called electricity. You see, truth has to connect with reality and reasoning or logic. Cultural tolerance eliminates those. Our world cries out that Christians need to be more tolerant and that Christians are intolerant. Society is forcing churches to be doctrinally weak and have the same mindset that infiltrated this ancient church of Thyatira. And this Sin of tolerating is what Christ wants to address. Bottom line, as we look at this letter, Christians should not be tolerant to the things that God is not tolerant. Christians should not be tolerant of all the thing of all things because god is not tolerant of all things this is the longest letter in the group it's the smallest church in city or at least city thyatira is a military town well known for its commercial centers and trade guilds or unions in the ancient world and still today, to a certain degree, whenever unions were found, there was rampant idolatry and immorality, the two great enemies of the early church, and still today, great enemies of the church. The city boasted of this temple to Apollo, the, quote, sun god. That may explain what some commentators put as why John uses the word the Son of God. It's the only time that's used in the book of Revelation. And as we jump in, the outline talks of this letter talks to three groups of people. There's the faithful followers of Jesus. There's the followers of Jezebel. And then there's the toleration group. So the outline I've entitled The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly. It has nothing to do with Clint Eastwood. There was a temptation, though, to play that theme song right when I said that. But we resisted that because we knew you wouldn't tolerate. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Grab your Bibles. Let's go. Let's jump in. We're going to look at the good, the bad, the ugly, and then what he says to the rest of the people in the church. In classic form... The first part of the letter opens up an absolute truth about God's supremacy and authority as God. Puts himself in a category all by himself. 
as creator. To the angel, the church of Thyatira write, the words of the Son of God who has eyes like flames of fire and whose feet like burnished bronze. How does God look? How does he see? John, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, delivers a message of severe warning and judgment to this congregation. He explains the description of the Lord's eyes and feet. This description about Christ does refer back to chapter 1. He repeats some of the same words where Christ will appear with eyes of fire and feet glimmering like fired bronzed. What is he saying in the first verse? Christ can see the church's deepest, darkest secrets. We're reminded of Hebrews chapter 4 verse 13 when it says, no creature on earth is hidden from God's sight. All are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. God sees. He knows the depths of this church. He knows the depths of this church. He knows the thoughts and intentions of this church. And he starts with the good that he sees. The good that he knows in this church, Thyatira. I know your works, verse 19. Your love, your faith, your service, your patient endurance. That your latter works exceed your first. I know what you're doing. You're getting better and better and better You're growing in your works and your love and your service and your patient endurance. It's amazing. This is the type of church you want to be. This type of church, when you come on and you just look at the surface, you go, wow, I belong here. This is what we want at Sun River Church. The good. feel welcome. You feel valued because you are welcome and you are valued. But behind this amazing group who are thriving on the outside, Christ saw a dark spot of infectious sin eating away at the inside. The core truth as we move through the next part is no amount of loving and sacrificial works can compensate for tolerating sin. The church was permitting false doctrine to influence and lead them to compromise. Their works, their love, their faith, their service, their patient endurance, these specific things that Jesus identifies as good, 
were undiscerning and lovelessly affirming. And so he moves from the good to the bad, verse 20. But I have this against you. You tolerate. To allow. You allow it. You permit. It's not passive. You, you let this stuff go. You tolerate false teaching and immoral behavior. You tolerate that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess and is teaching and seducing my servants, those who I love. You see, they have given into a false value that love equals unconditional affirmation. That's not true. They desire to love everyone and in, 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 in the end end up rejecting nothing. Every time you give in to a false value, it leaves space or it's founded or gives birth to false statements. And these two things can go back and forth. Let me give you an illustration. God loves you just the way you are. Man, that sounds so good and it makes you feel so good. There is some truth there. But if he loves you and I just the way that you and I are, that false statement will bring forth a false value that eliminates the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because if he loved me just the way that I am, then why did he have to send his son to pay for my sins? See, the gospel changes everything. When you realize he didn't just live and die and rose again. There's so much more to that. He lived to demonstrate to you and I a perfect life that's required by a holy and just and fair God. And you and I can't do it. And through God's justice, he sent his son to pay the price for your and my sin so that we don't stay living sinful lives, but by God's grace, we become more like him. And it's Christ's righteousness that's given to us. False values are supported by false statements. And this prophetess in the church was very influential. Jezebel was probably not her real name. She likely had the characteristics similar to Jezebel of the Old Testament mentioned in 1 Kings. The original Jezebel in that story corrupted the kingdom of Israel when she married King Ahab, leading the people into idolatry and sin. In the Old Testament, she was deceptive, idolatrous, domineering, scheming, vicious. Most likely, this is a picture Christ is using in this church to elevate because they knew the Old Testament. This also, many scholars believe, is one of the first representations of the earliest Gnostic group, the 
philosophical, or what is known also as philosophical dualism. The Gnostics in the second century taught that matter, the body, and the spirit or soul were completely separate from each other. So they believed that she deceived by saying, God doesn't care about your body. He cares about your soul. He wants to save your soul for eternity. So it doesn't matter what you do or how you behave or how you practice in regards to your body. Salvation only concerns the spirit. So they would reason their immoral behavior away as it didn't matter. Still alive and well today. Where God's grace is accepted by people and then they flip it to a prepaid credit card to sin. It's not true. Paul makes it clear. Where grace abounds, that does not mean sin abounds all the more. No. Grace alone saves you and it changes you. And this is where we see tolerance move from bad to ugly. Unbiblical cultural tolerance moving from a bad place to an ugly place because they not only tolerated her, but that tolerance moved them into this ugly place where they practiced sexual immorality and ate food sacrificed to idols. They began to participate. Imagine you're in Thyatira, or however you pronounce it, and you sit down for dinner with your union friends and your co-workers It's going to be a huge celebration, amazing food and fellowship and no masks and no COVID. It's going to be awesome. You sit down and right before the feast and right before the celebration, before everybody gets ready to dig in, there's a pause. Everybody stops. And the leader stands up and says, we want to recognize the great God of Zeus. We want to worship him before we eat. Let's do this together. This is what has happened. It's not quite the same as in the New Testament where there's a conviction to eat food sacrifice the idols, and, and there's a different place in the conscience. This is, no, they're, they're saying this is okay, and they're going to worship Zeus before they eat. False worship is at the heartbeat of the whole thing. The conscience with these people has almost completely been severed and seared. They don't even see it. This is where tolerance gets ugly. It moves you from accepting to participating in. As if it's fine. It's not sin. It doesn't matter. David Wells puts it pretty clearly. Worldliness is whatever makes sin look normal. 
and righteousness look strange. That's what worldliness is. And cultural tolerance beats this drum. Not only does it make sin look normal, but if you are righteous in pursuing God, you're wicked. You're the wrong one. There is so much to unpack in this letter. I can't tell you how many conversations I've had as a pastor, and it's partly my job. It's partly just when people find out, whether I'm on the golf course or walking around in the neighborhood, when people find out what I do, everything changes. You know, it's kind of like the deal where they ask me, I'm like, well, I'm a pastor, and if, in my mind, I'm like, okay, well, here we go. We're going to talk about Jesus. I was sitting on a plane. It's the same thing. But it's interesting how intolerance shifts as they assume I'm intolerant. And recently, in the, well, not recently, it was a few years back, I was in a conversation with somebody who had completely different values than me. Up to this point, we were friends, we were acquaintances, we were just kind of getting to know each other. And then all of a sudden, the lights went off one day. Hey, how's it going? Not a response. Wait, what's going on? And then finally, hey, did, did something happen? Did I do something? Did I cut you off in my red Jeep or what? Because I do that sometimes on accident. No, we know who you are. We know what you believe. We know the hate that you have. What? You don't know anything about me. Are you a Christian? Yeah, we know enough. No, no, you don't tolerate. You think we're wrong. You think we're living a wrong life. And out of grace, I looked back and said, I don't not want to be your friend because you disagree with me. You don't want to be my friend because I disagree with you. But I am your friend. I want to have a friendship with you. And I'm okay that you disagree. Could you be okay with my viewpoint? I'm not saying you have to accept it, but if I don't accept yours, you reject me. I'm not rejecting you. That is biblical tolerance, and it's very hard. It's very complicated. But the gospel drives it. When it moves from bad to ugly, in this letter... Jesus has to come back and remind us of who he is. He has to remind us of his justice, that he is a perfect, just God, and never, when he executes his justice in the Old Testament, was it not riddled with compassion and love. He's fair. He's going to remind us of this right now. I gave her time to repent. Talk about compassion. He's not treating her or the others unfairly. That would be wrong of God. God cannot sin. I gave her time to repent, but she refused to repent of her sexual immorality. Behold, I will throw her into a sickbed. And those who commit adultery throw into great tribulation unless they repent. 
Why? Why does God say this? Why does he show justice? And why does he remind of compassion? Because he's God. And in our humanity, we may not like that. Naturally, we're going to rebel against that without the gospel. And he gives a clear answer as to why when he says, and all the churches, everyone, will know that I am the only one that searches the mind and the heart. And I will give according to your works. Brothers and sisters at Sun River Church, whether you're here at home, doctrine matters. Truth matters. Nobody will stand before God and see his justice and say, that's not fair. The sovereignty of God and his grace demonstrated through the gospel shows us. There's one person who could say, that's not fair, but only one. It's Jesus Christ. Sinless, perfect, took on your sin and mine. So that when we look at God and we say, this isn't fair, Lord, we deserve this, thank you for your love, that's a game changer. It's a game changer today and for all eternity. And then real quickly, he addresses the rest of the faithful in the church. He exhorts them and encourages them with a promise of eternity. And because of time, I can't break it all down, so I'm just going to summarize it. He says, but the rest of you who do not hold fast to the teach, uh, to hold fast to the teaching, who have not learned what some call the deep things of Satan. Most scholars say that what is being addressed here is that these believers who didn't give in and tolerate, the ones who tolerated, kind of had this mindset that if we get involved in these things and we get involved and we accept and we, and we grow in our love for others, the experience will make us better witnesses for Christ. They believe these lies that you can handle this, that you can learn more, you can be more effective if you just love and accept everyone. You see, we kind of have this motto in churches that we want people to belong so that they can become followers of Jesus. We, we want that. We want people to come here and belong and connect in hopes that they follow Jesus. But the same principle is true in the world. If you start to belong to those in the world, you will become like those in the world. And then he gives them hope and a promise. He says, hold fast. Hold fast to what you have until I come. The one who conquers and keeps my works until the end. To him, I will give authority over the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron, as even earthen pots and broken pieces, even as myself have received authority from the Father, I will give him the morning star. Simply hold on. Refuse to accommodate or to tolerate. Stand against the deceptions of the enemy 
at all costs. Remain faithful in a culture of ungodly tolerance. This is so hard to do. But Christ says that he will give, he will bless the faithful in Thyatira a powerful promise of overcoming that they can look forward to reigning with Christ, the morning star. His promise to those who overcome is a quote from Psalm 2. For he will deliver believers. So how do we apply the heartbeat of this letter to our church? How do we do this? How do we live with biblical tolerance and deny cultural tolerance? How do we honor God? It starts with our church. This is how we do this. It's a very basic application from Romans chapter 12. And as I kind of read this, I want you to reflect because a common statement against tolerance and standing up against cultural tolerance is don't judge me. That's like the river card. That's the ace. How how do we deal with this? Don't judge me. We do see in scripture where we're commanded not to judge lest we be judged ourselves. It's judging under the wrong intentions. We also see scripture give direction that we're not supposed to judge the outsider. That's God's responsibility. But in Corinthians, Paul says something pretty profound about judging with the right heart. Paul instructs the Corinthians to avoid avoid judging sinners in the world around them. Instead, judge those within the church by rebuking sin and correcting false teaching. The purpose is not just to keep the church pure and holy, to help each other through accountability, walk in a manner worthy of the gospel. It's to glorify God. It's to be light into a dark world. Romans 12 says, do not conform any longer to the behaviors and patterns of this world, but be transformed. And these words are the words I want to close with as the band gets ready to come back. And we turn our hearts and minds to worshiping God. I want this to be our banner today as we move through this week In the live Devo, I'm going to talk about how we love one another through supporting and sharing and serving, looking at others' interests above our own. I know the timing of that at 8.30 is hard for some people, so this week we will uh, record those and try to post them on the internet as an encouragement to you that you can watch throughout the week. Romans 12, 9 says, Let love be genuine family. Let let love be real. 
you come into Heidi and I's home and you see we love each other, we don't always get along, we don't always agree. Well, I do. Just kidding. But love is genuine. This is what the church is supposed to be modeled after. Let love be genuine. He goes on, abhor, be horrified towards evil. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in the spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation and conflict. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality to each other. Will you stand? As we turn our hearts and minds towards the Lord and praise him with our words.